Our scripture today comes from Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. And if you happen uh, to be uh, paying attention uh, back on July 5th, we actually touched on this, even though we were talking about a, a psalm, we talked, we talked about this brief blessing. And so hopefully it sounds somewhat familiar to you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together near and far in order to hear your blessing. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, I mentioned how we um, we had to say goodbye to our youngest child as she started kindergarten. It was a bit of a bittersweet day, to be honest. Uh, but I've been continuing to think about that. And as I have done so, I was remembering uh, the first time that we had to let go of Shaughnessy Grace Deck. That's our eldest child. And it was a very difficult time. I can remember it quite poignantly with her because in the days leading up to it, uh, Megan and I, we had a lot of different questions. You know, did we teach her enough? And was she understanding who she was as, as Shawnee? Did she know who she was? Did she know how to treat others? Uh, when she went to class, was she going to behave? And if not, uh, was her teacher going to judge us as parents? We had all those different questions. And so in the days leading up to our kind of last hug and saying goodbye to her, we tried to reinstall uh, in her, if you will, all of those things. This is who you are. This is how you act. This is how you treat people. Kind of a final uh, embrace of these things before she went off onto her new adventure. Now, I was thinking about that this week when it comes to this particular passage, because what's happening here in Numbers chapter 6 is that the Israelites are just about to depart from Mount Sinai. They have been at Mount Sinai for nearly a year. It's where they received the Ten Commandments. It's where, as we talked about last week, they began to understand what it means that God was right there in their midst. And now they are about to venture out into the wilderness again. And so God here, before they take off, is telling Aaron, you and the priests, your sons, you go and you tell them, not just once, but repeatedly, you remind them who they are. You remind them who I am as their God. So he's quickly trying to bless them. He wants them to know this because he knows as they venture out into the wilderness, that they're going to go through challenging times when they need to be reminded, when they need to be able to know beyond the shadow of a doubt 
who they are and who God is. And so this blessing is a blessing for a journey, as some have called it. And so what does this blessing mean? Can we just kind of quickly unpack exactly what this blessing really entails? One of the things that's very clear is that it is the Lord who provides us with the blessings. Again and again and then again, this blessing tells us the Lord bless you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord is the one who blesses you. Ian Duguid points out that this is a sign that Israelites and that we oftentimes wrestle with trying to find other places for our blessings. Whether it's through our possessions or through our success or through the affirmation or accolade of others, we oftentimes are reaching and and groping, trying to find some other place for a blessing, some place that we'll never be able to totally fulfill like only God can. And so the Lord wants the Israelites, before they venture off, to remember that it is the Lord who provides them with the blessings that they receive. But there's also something else I think that's significant, that is easy for us as kind of, as English, most of us as native English speakers, to to perhaps drive right by when it comes to this passage. And that's the particular word that is used for God. Now in Hebrew, there are different words that can be used, and they're good words, words like Elohim, for instance. But that's a more generic understanding, if you will, of who God is. But in this particular passage, and in many places in the Old Testament, that's not the word that's used for God. The word instead that is used for God is the word Yahweh. And as uh, as Andrew Root points out, that distinction would have sounded very different to the Hebrew ear. Yahweh would have given a totally different kind of emotive response than would the word Elohim. When I was in college, I had a mentor of mine, Dr. Tilly. He was the vice president of my university. I had a class with him. and He was somebody who became almost like another father figure to me. He was incredibly helpful in just the formation of me spiritually and as a person. And I got to know him really well. I got to share my life with him. He began to share more of his life with me. And I can remember very distinctly after a couple of years when Dr. Tilly and I were speaking and he he looked at me across his desk and he said, you know, Jerry, I think it's I think it's okay now. You can start calling me Dave. Which was weird because his name was John. No, I'm just kidding. His name really was Dave. And what was significant about that, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it totally transformed our relationship. In a sense, it was kind of an an indicator of the fact that things had changed a little bit, right? It wasn't just that he was a professor of mine anymore or, or the vice president now there was this, this closer sense of relationship, this closer sense of the fact that we, were, uh, that we were becoming almost friends, if you will. And just by changing the name, just by calling him Dave now, instead of, instead of Dr. Tilly, all of a sudden it signified a difference in relationship. 
And in many ways, that's exactly what we see going on here when he says, Yahweh, Yahweh bless you. Yahweh have his face shine upon you. Yahweh looks at you. For the Israelites, just by that one word, all of a sudden what it conveyed to them was that this was not a distant God or a Lord, which is how the English translates it, which is not very intimate at all. And instead, it helps them to realize that as they go out, it's not a distant God saying, go out into the wilderness. It is a God, it is a Yahweh who says, I will be with you. I will journey alongside of you. Yahweh, bless you. What does it mean? That Yahweh is looking at us. What does it mean that Yahweh's countenance is upon us, as this blessing says? Well, it means, to put it kind of bluntly, that the Lord is looking at you, which means that the Lord is paying attention to you. You know, it, it, it seems kind of pedestrian almost to say, okay, well, the Lord is looking at me, but I think there's a real richness to that. One of my biggest pet peeves, and honestly, I am sometimes guilty of it, which is really annoying to me, is being in a conversation with somebody when that person is also either on his or her phone or is kind of looking at his or her Apple Watch. It's incredibly frustrating to me. One of the things that makes it even more frustrating is how sneaky people think that they are, right? And so, so you'll sit there and you'll talk to them and they'll, maybe you're at a table and they'll have their phone kind of on their lap or beside them and they'll be, you know, like, oh, that's, oh, great, Jerry, that's great, yeah. And you can just know they're just kind of, you know, they're slowly just kind of scrolling through and, oh, or maybe they'll, you know, they'll get a notification on their watch and they'll just kind of, oh, you know, oh, yeah. And, and just kind of do that a little side glance like you don't see it. And whenever that happens, the truth is, for me at least, whether they mean it or not, and when I do it, whether I mean it or not to others, is that, well, you know what, Jerry, in this case, you're, you, you're, I appreciate you, but there might be something better. There might be someone a bit more interesting for me to pay attention to. There might be someone who I would rather talk to just a little bit more. So let me just take a quick look through and make sure there isn't. But what this blessing reminds us of is that the Lord is looking at you. The Lord is not saying, hey, could you please be a little bit more interesting, a little bit more engaging? I'm kind of getting bored with you. No, the Lord is looking at you. And when you think that you are out on a limb, that you are out in a desert place and there is nobody around and that the Lord has forgotten you, this blessing says, no, 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 no. The Lord is looking at you. The Lord is paying attention to you. But it doesn't just tell us that the Lord is lifting up his countenance to you. The blessing also tells us that the Lord is shining his face upon you. What does, that, what does that mean? It means that when the Lord sees you, his face lights up. Or someone has said it means that the Lord delights in you. 
Recently, my wife sent me an email or an article, I should say, about, uh, about Toni Morrison. And it was just kind of her own description about uh, some of her evolution as a parent. And she talked about the fact that when her kids were little uh, and they would come into a, a room, that what she knew that she would do is she would find something. She would see something, right, that, that needed to be fixed. You know, maybe their, maybe their pants uh, needed to be buttoned. Uh, maybe their hair needed to be brushed. Or maybe their socks needed to be pulled up a little bit. Now, all of those are acts of love. You know, all of those are kind of a sense of wanting to care for your children and prepare them for the world outside and wanting to make sure their pants don't fall down. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And yet as she continued to mull this over, what she realized, of course, is that what that meant is that when her children came in, the face that they saw in, her, in their mother was the face that was looking for something to fix. It was a face that was looking for something that was wrong with them. What she began to realize as time continued on and what she began to work on and what she was encouraging other parents to work on was that when your child comes into the room, the first thing to do is to allow your face to shine. To allow your face to light up because this is someone with whom you were able to create. This is your child. Allow the first thing they see when they come into that room is to know by the way that you smile, by the way that your face brightens, that they are loved in spite of anything that might need to be Now, I think that's a great parenting tip, to be sure. But I also think it's really helpful for us to keep this in mind when we think about what it means that the Lord's face is shining upon us. What it means is that when the Lord looks at you, what he sees is not just some mistake that you've made. What he sees is not, oh, that's where he's fallen short. I'm going to have to fix that. That when you walk through a room, if you will, the Lord's face begins to shine. Because you are his beloved child. This is the promise of the blessing of the Lord to you. One of the great things about this blessing is that it realizes that that's not easy for most of us to believe. And so in this particular short passage, the word you is used, Y-O-U, six times. Six times. So not only does the Lord want Aaron and his sons to, to give this blessing again, 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 and again, but he also wants us to know that the blessing is for you, not just for the person next to you, but for you. I love how almost every commentary that I read brought this point up, which to me makes it very clear that it's something that many of us struggle with. And so when we hear that the Lord bless you, many of our inclination is to say, well, yeah, 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 but you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't know where it is that I have fallen short. 
And so he says again, no, 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 the Lord bless you. Oh, yeah, but you don't know. You don't know some of those thoughts that I have. There's no way. You don't know the way I think about my neighbor and what that person does, how angry I get. No, 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 the Lord bless you. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you don't know my past. There's a couple of things back there that even you don't know about. No, 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 the Lord bless you. Yeah, but what about the doubts? I even doubt God at times. How could a God doubt the Lord bless you? So that when you are in the midst of a struggle and you think, surely I have gone too far away from Yahweh. He looks at you and says, the Lord bless you. Now, it would be an injustice probably to this passage if we don't at least take a few moments to ask what that means. What does it mean to be blessed by the Lord? Surely, as our, as our not our psalm, but as our blessing here points out, a part of it is just simply the sense of peace, of shalom, of well-being, emotionally, physically, spiritually. There's certainly a part of that that is absolutely good and right. But as David Guzak points out, the Lord has our highest good in mind, which means that it is not just about our happiness or our comfort. Far too often when we think of blessing, what we think that means is that, wow, all of a sudden there's going to be, you know, coins from heaven that are going to come out or all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to have this or I'm going to have that over there. It's going to be this amazing bounty all of a sudden. One of the things that we need to do is remember where we have been through this series on flourishing in the wilderness. What we have said is that a part of the reason why we go through this journey from the Red Sea, from baptism and through, until the promised land, until God's coming kingdom, is so that we can begin, as Walter Brueggemann says, to grow into the identity of who God says we are. So that we, to use the language of ZPC, can begin to be shaped more and more like Jesus. What does blessing mean? It does not always mean that you are happy or that you are comfortable or cozy. It means that you are being transformed. It means that you are being changed to look more like God. Being blessed means that we are being changed. Last Sunday, uh, our family uh, watched online since we had to um, since we had to cancel worship. That never puts me in a good place to have to cancel worship. I was very disappointed. And, and so after it, I said, okay, let's just go. Let's go out. Let's walk through Starkey Park. This is what we did oftentimes in March and April. We'll go walk. Uh, we'll make sure that Megan doesn't try to walk across any bridges and fall into the creek. Uh, we don't want to go through all that again, but we do want to go out and walk through the creation of God. And so that's what we did. We all kind of bundled up a little bit. If you were here in central Indiana, you know, it wasn't a beautiful day. It was gray, uh, pretty cloudy, uh, but the, the, the trees were beautiful. There are a lot of beautiful leaves. And as we were walking, some of those leaves were falling and some of them were already on the ground. And uh, it was kind of a, a little bit blustery. And 
I said to Megan, as we were kind of still on the rail trail before we got to the park, I said, you know, I'm pretty sure every time I'm in a setting like this where I can see woods all around me and where it's this autumnal feel, I immediately go back to 2008 when we were in Germany with my sister and her family and we were doing uh, kind of the, the Frankenstein Castle run. I've told many of you about this. I try not to go into great detail, but this was this run that uh, was a run, if you will, more of a walk. And it was, it was my wife who was in her first trimester with our eldest child, so her first pregnancy. Uh, it was with my sister and, and my nephew and, and niece. They were probably seven and four at the time, and then a baby niece as well. So we had two different strollers, and so I, I had the two bigger kids. And so we were going, and we were about five minutes. I was told this was an eight-kilometer, you know, hike to this castle, what they call Frankenstein Castle, a gentle slope. My brother-in-law, who bailed out on us, by the way, right before we went, said to me, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, the second half, from what I hear, gets, gets a little bit steeper, but it shouldn't be bad. Okay, I said, that's great. So we begin to go, and as we're going, we're maybe five minutes into it, when my sister says to me, you know, maybe we should have packed some food, you know. We didn't really pack any food for us. I said, oh, you know, it's only eight kilometers. That's not that big of a deal. And she said, Jerry, no, I told you it's eight miles. And I said, okay, well, it'll probably be fine. And so we started to go. Now, it was not flat. In fact, as we were kind of going through and going over tree roots and things like that, I, I said to my sister, I said, well, maybe Jason was wrong. Maybe it's the first half that's really steep and the second half that gets flatter. Oh, no, 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 no. It only got worse. And so we continued to go, and it, and it got steeper and steeper. There were parts where, honestly, uh, if I can show it here, I was basically like parallel to the ground as I was trying to push the stroller. And my seven-year-old nephew is incredibly husky. I mean, it must have been 400 pounds that I was pushing. At least it felt like that. But the worst of it all was the hunger. I was so hungry. And there were snacks, but they were for the kids. And so I had an ethical dilemma within myself. Do you eat these? Because if you don't and you pass out, then you can't push the kids forward. And so I kept going back and forth. It was a lot of turmoil, but it was by far worse for, for my lovely wife, Megan. Again, she was still getting through that first trimester. She wasn't already, wasn't feeling good. She was certainly not very happy with me at this point. And, and towards the second half, as it got very steep, I would, I'd push the stroller up, you know, maybe a few hundred feet and, and I'd put the brake on and then I'd, I'd run back and check on her and she was weeping, literally weeping, wondering whether she would make it. We were all wondering whether she would make it. It was a nightmare. And as I think about that particular journey now, not only was it an absolute nightmare, but it is one of the best memories I have. That's exactly what I said to Megan on Sunday. I said, this has got to be top five, maybe top ten, maybe it's number six. But this is one of the greatest memories that I have. Why? Well, because it was such a kind of transformative time. Those 14 hours, it wasn't 14 hours, but that time 
When, when I get together, when we get together with my sister and her kids, I mean, we almost always bring this up. Oh, the Frankenstein rock, can you believe that? It is this incredible bonding time that nobody else, including my brother-in-law, can talk about. We are able to engage with this story, and it, it clearly formed these unique bonds, not only with them, but even with my wife. We were about to go through a whole new phase with having a child, and, and I'm telling you, I, I've never had a child, but this was about as painful as that and I thought wow if Megan is going to stick with me through this maybe we're going to be okay but it was this kind of this this strange and as pedestrian as it may seem this this strange very difficult yes it was a nightmare and yes it was transformative and I would go back there in a second if I could to experience that once again because I was changed throughout it and I bring that up today because I was thinking about this story two days after that Sunday on Tuesday night. Because several of the elders and I and Pastor Scott got together. And we were here at Zionsville Presbyterian Church and we were mostly outside. Some of us came in here into the sanctuary or walked throughout the building. And we were walking and we were praying. And we were praying for this church. And one of these kind of strange moments I had is when I was sitting there and I was standing in the parking lot. And if you've been to the parking lot, you, you will know where it is that we, that we gather together to worship there. And I, I realized this has been an incredibly difficult and challenging time for so many of you as individuals and for us as a church. But, but as I kept looking at this incredibly, this slab of asphalt, I remembered that just eight months ago, it meant very little to most of us. It was incredibly utilitarian. We basically drove up we parked. Most of you were 10 minutes late, so you hardly even knew there was a parking lot at all because you just threw it in park and you started running in. It was just there to be used. And now, every Sunday except for last Sunday, those places, those very normal parking spaces full of cracks and oil left over from hundreds of cars that have parked there in the past, that parking space week after week has become a holy place. Because of the challenges and the struggles of this time, a parking space has become a holy place. And I realize that this is how God works. That this is how God blesses us. That the blessings of God, more often than not, are not by you gaining something additional over here or over there. Rather, it is in the midst of challenging times when God makes something incredibly ordinary and he makes it holy. He makes it shaped for his purposes. 
And when the Lord says that he is going to bless you, that the Lord is looking at you, that the Lord is paying attention to you, that the Lord brightens his face when he sees you, this is all a part of his transformation that he is bringing to you. It is a blessing from the Lord, oftentimes through difficult times, sometimes through joyful times, but oftentimes in challenging times when the Lord makes something incredibly pedestrian and ordinary and he turns it into a holy experience. And that is a blessing. And what I want you to know, Zionsville Presbyterian Church, is that even though this has been an incredibly difficult time in lots of different ways, and even though there's a good chance you are not happier now than you were seven months ago, you are not more comfortable or content now than you were seven months ago, I also think that you are a changed person. And I know that we are and will continue to grow into being a transformed people. That as we continue to work through this wilderness, that we are being shaped more and more like Jesus. And that is not something to bemoan. That is a blessing. And so wherever it is that you are right now, whether you are at home and what you've realized throughout this time is this television that you are staring at that so often perhaps has been used for something unholy, all of a sudden over these six months, hopefully you've been able to experience the holiness of God through that. Or whether it's when you come to the parking lot and you engage in worship there and you see how the Lord takes a parking space and makes it into a holy place. Know this, the Lord is blessing you in the midst of all that we are going through. And we are being transformed. The Lord bless you and keep you. May we never be the same again. Hallelujah. Amen and amen.